Welcome to Pop Culture Rx, where we sit down with a medical expert and talk through various health-related topics circulating in today's media. We've got you covered. An unexpected health condition can happen to anyone at any time, celebrity or not. In our discussions, you'll hear from a variety of professionals sharing insight and advice on these topical conditions. Thanks for listening. Today, we're going to be talking about Sharon Stone. And in a recent article, Sharon Stone revealed the impact her health crisis had on her career. Today, I'm here with Dr. Sarah Cucarolo, who is the medical director at JFK Johnson Rehabilitation Institute. And we'll be diving into Sharon's stroke and kind of her recovery period. So thanks for having us today, Dr. Cucarolo. Of course. And I wanted to first, before I ask you about stroke, I wanted to ask how you became a physician and what made you choose this expertise? I actually became interested in high school um, by volunteering at, uh, at Kings County Medical Center in Brooklyn. I was born and raised in Brooklyn. I had an 80-year-old um, high school advisor who said to me, oh, no, you, you have three choices. You can be a teacher, a nurse, or a secretary. Those are your three choices. So it turned out that I talked to my older brother, who was in college, and he said, I'll help you apply. And we applied for pre-med. And my husband, who's an orthopedic surgeon, he had said, did you hear about this great, this, uh, we, were, we were dating at the time, this great specialty. It's called physical medicine and rehabilitation. He said, um, why don't you look into it? And I found that it, was, it came out of a post-World War II need to take care of veterans. So patients who have amputations, traumatic brain injury, um, spinal cord injury. There was no specialty post-World War II to take care of these veterans who had long-term disabilities. And the specialty has expanded to include neurologic diseases, which stroke is one of the the number one um, admissions into a rehab unit. Uh, here at JFK Johnson, we get over 700, 750 stroke admissions a year. Wow. So um, I did internal medicine first, and then I did PM&R, and I've never looked back. It's such a gratifying field. It has medicine, and it also allows you to really focus on the quality of people's lives. And you probably create lifelong connections with oh, absolutely. these patients, because it's not like a one-time visit. I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of doctors, and a lot of people bring up stroke in different capacities. So what is stroke? What is happening in your body at that moment? So a stroke is a sudden neurological event that either is causes ischemia to the brain or a bleed within the brain. If, it's le- if, if the event happens and the symptoms are less than 24 hours, then it's called a transient ischemic attack, or TIA. If they last greater than 24 hours, then it's called a stroke. You're saying, you know, as long as it's over 24 hours, it's considered a stroke. Now, Sharon's stroke lasted, or her brain bleed lasted for nine days. Is that normal, or? The key thing that everyone out in the community should know is when you have any type of symptomatology that even makes you think that the patient could possibly be having a stroke. Um, There's a mnemonic called FAST, F-A-S-T, 
which if you see uh, facial plegia with the face with drooping, if you see the, the patient's arm get weak where they can't hold on to a pencil or a bottle of water, if you see that their speech is impaired where they're slurring their words or they, they have trouble with word finding, you, the, the T is that you have to think about the timing. You need to get that person to the emergency room as soon as possible. Don't put the patient in the car and take them yourself. Call an ambulance because as soon as you make that call, if the patient is having a stroke, then EMS can start the cascade of treatment that will help the patient in the long run and help prevent deficits that might ensue if you just wait. Now in Sharon Stone's situation, she had a crushing headache. She just tried to nurse it on her own for, for, for three or four days. Yeah, she drove. Right, and she had free blood in the brain because she, she, had, um, she had an aneurysm, and it turned out that the aneurysm was, uh, went into vertebral dissection. So she ended up, uh, the subarachnoid um, hemorrhage that she had, she was living with it for three to four days, and by the time she went in, the bleed had extended pretty extensively yeah. that if she went in on the front end when that headache presented, she would have um, had a, a smoother recovery with potentially less work to her recovery. Ideally, seeing her today and how she's functioning, she was extremely lucky. Like oh, she's yeah. functionally, she's doing well, she's speaking well. Cognitively, she's doing great. But if she would have gone in on the front end um, on the first day when that headache was that significant, you know, her recovery could have been cut much shorter and it would have been addressed at that time. Headache is one of those altered symptomatology. They, women can also present um, uniquely with um, nausea and vomiting, shortness of breath, they, get, they have uh, changes in behavior, they get confusion, they can even have hallucinations. Wow. Women can get diffuse weakness or generalized pain. So because of that, women tend to show up into the ER later than, than men do. Yeah, and especially if it's generalized pain, like that could be exactly, anything. Exactly, exactly. So in men, stroke is the fifth leading cause of death. In women, it's the third leading cause of death. Every decade after 55, it doubles your risk of stroke. So because women live longer, they have a higher risk of stroke. And the other, the other piece is, is the longer you live, the higher your risk of developing what's called atrial fibrillation. And that's when you're your heart doesn't contract quite properly. Mm -hmm. So instead of the, the heart having normal contraction, the atrium, it fibrillates or flutters. In that fibrillation state, you can get a thrombus or a tail of a blood clot. And when you convert back to normal sinus, which happens sporadically, that thrombus can go up to the brain through the carotids and lodge in the brain. And those emboli can lodge and cause strokes to happen. When Sharon first got to the hospital, she had scans, obviously, to reveal that she was having a stroke. And then surgeons performed a procedure called endovascular coiling. Mm -hmm. Now, does that include an actual coil, or is that just <laughs> a term of speech? So ac actually what happens is they it's an interventional procedure where they, they go in um, through the groin most, most commonly, and they go... They Through the basis, groin all the way up yeah. to your brain? So they, they go in and they um, actually go into the brain. When they get to the area of the aneurysm, now an aneurysm is an 
outpocketing of a normal vessel. So if you think of like a one of those long skinny balloons, mm -hmm. and then you think of a, a defect in, in the balloon itself where just a bubble comes out the side, that's like an aneurysm. What the interventionalist does is go in through the vessel and basically get to that area where there's a bubble and they fill it with a coil. Putting the coil in it, it seals it off, so now it's safe not to explode and basically bleed into the brain. You were mentioning some of the treatment options before at JFK Johnson mm -hmm. for treatments of stroke. Mm -hmm. Could you elaborate on those? The first um, and common way to get the patients treated is getting them to the hospital in that three hour window and they can give IV TPA. That can actually get up to the vessel in your brain, open it and allow that vessel to open up and stop stop that blockage and reperfuse the area of the brain so you basically have have watered off that ischemic brain injury to that tissue. That's why time equals brain. I have heard way too many times when seeing patients, you know, they said dad had this facial droop. He had he couldn't hold his spoon when he was eating his cereal and he's like, just wait, let's just wait. And then finally four, five, six hours pass and then he doesn't want to go in the ambulance. So then you, he only will go if you drive him. And you think you're doing, you, you, you're trying to make your dad happy, but it's yeah. it's kind of like you have to take charge at that, those moments in your loved one's lives. And you have to say, listen, I think you're having a stroke. Or listen, we need to get to the emergency room right now because we want to make sure you're going to be okay. And we need to go via the ambulance. Another way you can treat ischemic strokes is if you are outside that window of three to 4.5 hours, you can go in with what's called a clot retrieval mechanical device. So you can go up again into the brain as we talked about with the coiling, yeah. but you can go up with almost like a little tweezer yeah. and basically go in and the clot is there and you just pull it out and then retract it and you reperfuse the vessels into the brain. Those are the ischemic strokes. We said they're about 87%. Yeah. The second type of stroke is a hemorrhagic stroke. Which is what Sharon Which had. is what Sharon had. So you can either have aneurysms, which is what we talked about, mm -hmm. that, you know, that, that, that bubbling out on the side of the vessel. Um, and those can be treated with coiling, which we just discussed. Yeah. Or you can actually do a, a clipping, a surgical clipping, where you clip, instead of filling it with a coil, mm -hmm. you actually go and clip the outside of it. Or there's also, um, you know, just general surgery where you do a full open procedure. So those are ways to treat aneurysms. The other, the other way you get a bleed is what's called an arterial venous malformation which is sometimes anatomically there's a problem. And instead of it being this very nice transition of artery to, to vein, you have this tangle of arteries and veins together, and it's called an AVM or, or an arterial venous malformation. One way you can treat those, those are with um, embolization, and the other way you can treat those with are surgery. In both of these types of stroke, ischemic and hemorrhagic stroke, you have to make sure that blood pressure is well controlled. Blood pressure can really make strokes worse. It's kind of like, you know, opening the faucet more intensely so more blood comes out when the pressure is too high. With ischemic strokes, you have to be, you have to find a sweet spot because the area is already ischemic, you wanna manage the blood pressure properly so that um, you, you still perfuse the tissue but don't put the tissue at risk. 
that was just a lot of information. <laughs> I feel like all I can think of is like knots and ropes and <laughs> balloon animals and tweezers now. I'm like <laughs> overfilled with knowledge. Um, so after the stroke, she mentioned how she took around seven years to recover from. Mm-hmm. That's a long time. Is that pretty typical? What does that look like? Sharon Stone's recovery was was long. That's a very that's a very long recovery time, and part of it was, as you pointed out, her delay in getting treated. In a typical patient, the return of motor function usually happens in three to six months. You get the maximum amount of motor function. You can continue to work on that for as long as the patient continues to make gains. And in Sharon Stone's situation, she continued to make gains over those seven years. Speech can take up to a full year to recover and even longer if you have cognitive deficits. So, but, um, but speech is, speech continues to improve as you continue to get therapies. Uh, Swallowing, um, about 30% of people that have ischemic stroke lose the ability to swallow properly. In 85% of the cases, within three months, your swallowing ability returns. I took care of a right-handed orthopedic surgeon who at 40, uh, 48 had a, had a major stroke. He had aphasia, he was having trouble speaking. He said hospice and water. Those were the two things he said. Because he knew if he drank water and he went to hospice, he would basically have an aspiration pneumonia and die. That's how depressed he was. He was an orthopedic surgeon who was yeah. right-handed, and now he saw that he couldn't use his right hand, and he wanted water and hospice because he wanted to, to, he wanted to end it all. So I told him, just give us three months in rehab. We're going to show you we can get you back. And within within a year and a half, he was back to work. Wow. So the, the point of the matter is, is that you need to know that there is recovery and you need to not only address the deficits that are in front of you that the patient has, but also, as you mentioned before, changing their lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Like he was a person that didn't take his blood pressure medication. He also was a diabetic that didn't take care of his diabetes. He was a smoker, so we worked with him to stop smoking. He also really enjoyed drinking, so we talked to him about how how he had to cut way back on the drinking and only drink in moderation. These are the type of things, when you have a stroke, once you have a stroke, you have a 12 to 25% risk of having another stroke in that, in that year that you had the stroke. Wow. So a big part of preventing that from happening is to is to change your lifestyle, get rid of all your modifiable risk factors and really take on a new lease on life and address not only the rehab piece of it but also the lifestyle change piece of it. And that's a big initiative that we have here. Yeah. We've we've we here are doing research that's being done nowhere else in the world. It's called the Stroke Recovery Program. Okay. And we realized we have a very successful cardiac rehab program. Cardiac rehab is fully funded by Medicare. If they do this comprehensive outpatient program that includes nutritional support, smoking cessation, risk factor management, and 36 sessions of cardiovascular conditioning, in addition to physician follow-up, with that program, they can reduce the mortality of cardiac patients, 45%. Here at JFK Johnson, we have an IRB-approved research uh, study 
that we have almost 2,000 patients that have consented to. We put them on a recumbent cross-training bike that actually puts them in a seated position, and we partnered with Newstep, who helped us. They made a brace for their leg, the plegic okay. leg, and a mitt for the hand, the plegic hand, and they're able to do interval cardiovascular conditioning over 36 sessions right here in our outpatient gym. Nationally, the average of dying within the first year, if you were ill enough with a stroke to get into the hospital, the actual percentage of your risk of death is 31%. The people that we put through this program, their risk of dying was 1.47%. That's amazing. Is, yes. When we compared the, the control group or the people that didn't do the program to the people that did do the program, the people that didn't do the program had a 9.09 9 .09 higher chance of dying in that first year. Wow. So it's, um, by as you said you know, before, changing lifestyle is a huge part of stroke prevention and keeping people healthy. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned prevention. So we've talked a lot about treatment. We've talked a lot about stroke and what it is and how to, you know, handle it. What could we do? What could I do right now to help prevent a stroke in my future? Look at your modifiable risk factors. Look at the modifiable risk factors for stroke. Um, for uh, specifically, if someone has high blood pressure, that has to be treated because that, if your blood pressure is high, you're putting yourself at significant risk for stroke. If you have diabetes, that needs to be well controlled. For women specifically, if someone smokes in and on birth control pills, they put themselves at extreme, much higher risk of having a stroke. Women in general are at higher risk for stroke because they do take birth control pills. You're at a higher risk of stroke during pregnancy at, at the point of childbirth. And if you happen to have a, a hypercoagulable state, like some people have sickle cell anemia, some people, if they're hypercoagulable, you need to treat that and address that. A major thing that is really coming on the forefront of stroke prevention is, is exercise, cardiovascular conditioning. We're seeing in the, in the population that, that are part of this research study that they're not having these recurrent strokes the way, as, as we said before, you have a 12 to 25% chance of having a recurrent stroke. We're actually running the data now and we're seeing the people that are part of this program are not having those second strokes. So you guys are onto something over here in terms of preventing strokes and helping those who had a stroke prevent strokes in their future and just overall lifestyle changing and health in general. You guys are really yes, and know. we and part and another part of the program is we also look at nutrition because nutrition is important for the Absolutely. reasons that you said about you know um, lifestyle change like you know you know keeping hypertensive patients on low sodium diets making sure diabetics have the proper nutrition all of these things are part of this comprehensive approach of lifestyle change yes well I have learned so much today that I don't. I don't have any other questions. Is there anything else you'd like to add? I'd like to thank you for bringing stroke oh, and, and the information about stroke uh, to the community because I think if we all educate ourselves about, um, for, for not only ourselves but our loved ones, about what the risk factors are, how we can prevent them, and should a stroke ensue, how to, how to uh, react to it, um, I think we all will um, help patients not not only on our family but in our community and hopefully we can slowly but surely eradicate strokes from happening that's a big ask yes it is a big ask but we'll 
not, we, we can start with it by using Medicare to, to help support and fund these type of type of comp- comprehensive programs so that we can um, we can futuristically reduce the number of strokes. Thanks so much for having us today. Okay. All right. Great. Thank you. The material provided through this Health You podcast is intended to be used as general information only and should not replace the advice of your physician. Always consult your physician for individual care.